0: Tonight is going to be called Evidences of Joy. To begin with, I want you to listen to James chapter 5 and verse 13. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Singing is reflective of a joyful heart. I think about, when I think about joy, quite often is being a child. And I think about going to vacation Bible school and the songs we sang. For instance, I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Well, that was one of my favorite songs. Or then the one like, I've got peace like a river, love like a fountain, or joy like a fountain, and love like an ocean. Or, if you go to the adult songs, Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Or you think about in the morning of joy or joy to the world or sing on ye joyful pilgrims. I was going to put uh, the rest of the page filled with them, but I think you get the idea. We sing a lot about joy. And that's right. That's the way it ought to be because that's reflective of, hopefully, what we are as Christians. But, joy is too often missing among us. In Psalm 42, verse 11, David said, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. I just get to think about what David said, the help of my countenance, the help of my being able to express my joy, hoping in God. And yet, I think about a phrase that was spoken to me several years ago. Several years ago, a few guys here in the congregation decided they wanted to take up the game of golf. And not only did they want to take it up, they persuaded me to go with them a few times to try to teach me to like it as well. I will tell you now that there's a lot cheaper ways to be frustrated. (laughs) But initially, the very first time I went, the very first time I picked up one of those things they call irons to hit on a par three, I drew back, and I hit the ball, and my hands jarred. I mean, it was uncomfortable. In fact, a little bit painful. And I remember those good friends of mine all standing around, you're not doing it right. That was obvious. But do you know what? There's a lot of Christians who are not doing Christianity right either. You know why? Because there's no joy in their heart. As they do it, it jars their hands. It's uncomfortable to them. They don't like it. They don't appreciate it. You see, there's a real reason to discuss this topic. Here's the three lessons that I have prepared for this series of lessons. The first one tonight is evidences of joy. How can you know if somebody has joy in their heart? The second is going to be the epistle of joy. We're going to study the book of Philippians with the idea in mind, what does Paul mean when he talks about in chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And then the third lesson will be an expectation of joy. You and I have to hope for something. And I'm looking for joy in heaven and all that goes along with it. As I prepared this lesson, I couldn't get VBS out of my mind. And I'll tell you why. is because every time we have VBS here, I look at the faces of these little children, and you know what You one of the songs I love to sing? If you're happy and you know it. But the latter part of that verse goes on to say, if you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. Some people, I wonder if they really are happy. And the reason why is because when I look out, people seem to be very somber and very sad. And it seems like it's almost a chore to them. In Proverbs 15 verse 13 Solomon said, A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Listen to him. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. That makes you smile, that makes you happy. Or, verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of merry heart has a continual feast. Sometimes we continue to focus on the wrong things. We're not doing it right. So let's talk about the evidences tonight. I want us to talk about three aspects of evidences. Something that you and I can see. The first one is the fruit of the Spirit, and obviously we're going to go to the book of Galatians chapter 5 for that. Second of all will be the fidelity of our sacrifices. Do you and I take pleasure in what we offer to God? Number three, as a factor of our sharing when we share with other people. Let's begin by going to Galatians chapter 5. And if you will, open your Bibles there. I want to begin with verse 16 and then verse 25. Because Paul is going to contrast two paths of life. Two different lives or walks that people follow and then the evidences of each. He said in chapter 5 and verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This very much parallels what Paul wrote to the Romans In Romans chapters 7 and 8. And he talks about there this contrast, if you will, of those who walk by the flesh and do not walk by the spirit. Or those who walk by the spirit and they do not walk according to the flesh. In verses 19 through 21, Paul will list a number of things that are evidence of walking in the flesh. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. If you're reading an older translation, they're manifest. You can see them in people's lives, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. How do I know that a person is walking in the flesh? It's evident. You can see these things in their lives. But then he begins in verse 22 by saying, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. You see, what he's trying to tell us is if I start looking at a man's life, there's evidence, if you will, of either the flesh or the spirit in him. And so as I begin to look, what I observe is... Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. And if a person does not have joy in their life, they're not walking by the Spirit. Let me tell you what I observe, that people who are involved in adultery and fornication and lewdness and sorcery and hatred and drunkenness that Paul describes, they don't have joy Because the flesh does not provide joy. Now Solomon looked at that in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he began to look at everything that he could experience in this life. Whether it was the pursuit of of all kinds of possessions. Or the pursuit of all kinds of pleasure. And he drew the conclusion, this stuff is meaningless. It has no value. It's nothing more than grasping for the wind. In the book of Matthew chapter 7, verse 17, Jesus said, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Chapter 12, verse 33, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. And then chapter 21, verse 19, Jesus has an illustration there for the people, a parable, if you will. He observes a fig tree, has leaves but no fruit. He curses it and the tree withers away. I wonder if the Lord looks at us and sees in us no joy. He sees no fruit of the Spirit, and says, those folks are not doing it right. There's no evidence of joy in their heart. But I want to move to the fidelity of our sacrifices. When I think about what you and I offer God, do we offer it to God with joy? Do we enjoy what it is that we're doing and giving to God? Just a moment or two, I'd like to take you to the book of Psalms. Brother Steve, for the past two or three weeks, has been reading for us from the book of Psalms as he prepares us to worship on Sunday morning. I appreciate that so much. Let's look first of all at Psalms 42, verse 4. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with a multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim, pilgrim feast. He said, when it came time, I used to go with the multitude. And how did we go? They would go to Jerusalem with joy in their hearts. They were bringing their sacrifices with them, but they were thrilled with the privilege of doing that chapter 84, verses 1 and 2. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I look forward to the privilege of being able to go up and worship God. Chapter 95, verses 1 and 2. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. You see, the picture is that when you and I come together to sing, we come with with a joy that is able to express that in words. And then Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up into the house of the Lord. Now with that thought in mind, I want you to think about people with whom their sacrifice of praise is something that is joyful to them. Ezra as the children of Israel returned back from the Babylonian captivity, and now it's time for them to worship God. And here's what the record says. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord made them joyful, and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands to work on the house of the Lord, or house of God, the God of Israel. They looked at this as a grand privilege. You think about what would happen if you were no longer able to worship here. Let's say you become hospitalized, maybe institutionalized. What if you become such that you can't come together and be a part of these services? Do you know what people who tell me that I visit them in the nursing homes and people who become shut in They say, I miss going to worship. I miss the privilege. I miss the singing. I miss the prayers. I miss the interaction among our brothers and sisters. Oh, they really do. Let me contrast that with you about people with whom their sacrifices are offered with no fidelity at all. They don't care what they're giving. They're just giving God something The book of Malachi talks about people who had allowed their worship to become meaningless. They were just going through a set of motions. They were just fulfilling a set of commands, but they didn't put their hearts into it. And you say, well, why weren't they putting their hearts in it? Well, the priests who were leading them, their heart wasn't in it either. Malachi one and verse seven, you offered defiled food on my altar. What I say, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. The sacrifices that they were offering God, they said we don't appreciate it. In fact, they treated it with contempt. Drop down to verse twelve. But you profane it in that you say that the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food, is contemptible. The various items, the food, the first fruits that they would bring, they didn't respect that. They didn't appreciate the fact God had blessed them in their uh, earnings, if you will, that their flocks had produced, that their crops had produced, and they were bringing what they brought to God and they weren't bringing God the first fruits. He said, verse 13, You also say, Oh, what a weariness! And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? When people bring God what they don't want themselves, they bring God their junk, That shows there's no joy in their heart. Some people come to church, they come to the assembly, and they have absolutely no joy at all. And it's because they don't look at this as something good. But Amos, in Amos chapter 8 says, describing these people, they are saying, when will the new moon be passed? that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, that we may trade wheat. Those people during Amos' day wanted the services to hurry up and be over. They wanted the Sabbath day to be over so they get back to work again. I'm going to tell you, it's really sad when people look at services so poorly that they say, He's five minutes over. It's time for services to hurry up and be over. Oh, I can't believe he's led another verse of that song as if church now is something we've got to hurry up and get through with. I remember several years ago, Brother Tom Holland pointed this out, that there was a church in Nashville among our brethren. And their advertisement said something similar to this. They were having a 6 o'clock in the morning worship service for those who were medical professionals and for those who wanted to come and get services over with soon. Well, you mean what we're trying to do is to hurry up so we can just check it off? If that's what it is, there's no joy in the heart. And it won't be long before there will be a different attitude within you all together. Is it possible that the attendance problems we have are the result of our not doing it right? To the point where what we are doing, we're, we're emphasizing you've got to be here, you got to be here, but we're not emphasizing you need to be here because you want to be here. You need to be here because what you are doing is you're offering God praise. You're not here to do something for you. Hebrews 10 and verse 24 and 25 said, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the custom or manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching I suggest to you the first thing that you see when you start looking at this evidence is the fruit of the Spirit. Second of all is that there's some fidelity in your sacrifices to God. Now let's look at the third aspect as a factor in our sharing. Do you think that God takes pleasure... And has joy in giving? I know that's not an ordinary question. But I think it's one that needs asking. Does God take pleasure and find joy in giving? Well, let's listen to Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. The prophet Zephaniah says, The Lord your God is in your midst the mighty one will save now listen very carefully as we read through this he will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you with his love he will rejoice over you with singing before preparing this lesson i never thought about god singing have you Have you thought about God singing? And yet, He talks about there, He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God takes pleasure. He takes delight in us. Listen to Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. Seek. And you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks, finds, And he who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If then, you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Father in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? What was Jesus trying to say is that our view of God is sometimes is that He is a distant God, that he doesn't care, that he's somehow not involved. He said, that's not the case at all. In fact, he said, "You need to learn to ask, seek, and find." And he says, "You know how to give good gifts to your children. What about God? Now here is the passage that I think we would find most interesting. Acts 20 and verse 35. Let me set up this passage before we read it. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem and he's meeting with the elders at Ephesus on the island of Miletus. And they are going through a number of things that he is concerned about the church and about those who are going to create problems. One of the problems that has always been a part of some of these false teachers is they're taking advantage of people. Paul talked about what he did and he said, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this, That you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now I know that as many of you gathered together this afternoon with your families, Many of you probably gave some things to your children, your grandchildren, nieces, nephews, whatsoever. Who do you think enjoyed it the most? You may say, well, those kids were bouncing around and they were laughing and they were having a great time. Oh, they were. But I guarantee you those who were the givers took the greatest pleasure. And what Paul is trying to say to those Ephesian elders is you look at those weak ones. Those with whom you can share and he says, I want you to remember what Jesus taught us. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now if I start going to scripture, I can find that well illustrated in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians I'm just going to make reference to a couple of parts of that letter. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, going through verse 5, he said, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction. Now, Paul's there for just a moment. He said, I want to tell you what's going on with the churches.'" In Macedonia, the first thing he says about them is that they are in a great trial of affliction. The church is facing a very challenging, difficult time. He says the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Now I want you to notice verse 2 talks about their great trial of affliction but it also describes their financial condition as deep poverty. These are poor people who are being persecuted. But he says these people had an abundance of joy. Abundance means they're well blessed. Verse 3, For I bear record or witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability... They were freely willing. Well, how willing were they? Imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift. For a moment, just consider, they're begging us, let them give. I know if I was Paul and I was in the midst of a bunch of poor people who were being persecuted and they said, we, we want to give. No, no, no. You, you shouldn't give. You don't have enough yourself. They're imploring, they're begging, Paul, with much urgency, that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. They want to give. They want to give with joy. And so he says that not only as we had hoped but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. When you go to chapter 9 and you look at verse 5, the brethren at Corinth are not as willing. In fact, Paul has had to, so to speak, build a fire under them. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time. And prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it might be as a matter of generosity and not grudging obligation. You know what Paul's worried about? It's if he doesn't send these brethren ahead of time, what's going to happen when Paul arrives and says, You said you were going to give so much. Where is it? Well, we don't have it. All right, cough it up. Nobody wants to be in that position. So verse 7, so let each one of us gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, the truth is, is that when I start looking at the fruit of the Spirit and the fidelity and sacrifices, now I start looking and seeing that it's a factor in my sharing. Do I take joy in giving and sharing or do I begrudge having to help somebody else? Well, I guess I'll put the money in the plate because you said I've got to. No, then you're not doing it right. Because if that's what you're doing, you're not giving with joy. You're not pleasing God. Paul would say, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I become a sounding brass or a tingling cymbal. And then he goes on to say, though I give all my goods to feed the poor and my body to be burned, but have not love. It profits me nothing. If there is joy in the heart of a Christian, it will be impossible to hide it. As a song says, you know, uh, this idea of, you know, if you're happy and you know it, your face will surely show it. Joy is a deep-seated delight that is something that sustains us through tough times. Our next lesson as we look at the book of Philippians, will draw that to a very um, obvious forefront in our minds. And yet joy is personal and individual. I want you to realize that this is something that you and I each have to work on within ourselves. Solomon said in Proverbs 14, verse 10, the heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger does not share in its joy. Each one of us personally know our own bitterness and we know our own joy. And if we're going to be a more joyful church, A more joyful family. You and I have to work on ourselves individually to be what God would want us to be. I felt like there's no better way to end our lesson this morning or this evening than to think about the eunuch. This man has gone to Jerusalem to worship, he's on his way home. He is reading the prophet Isaiah from chapter 53. Philip, at the direction of the Spirit, goes and asks the eunuch, Do you understand what you're reading? How can I? Except someone guide me. He gets up into the chariot with the eunuch and he begins to preach Jesus to him. They came to water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38. He went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now verse 39. Now when they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. You can go home tonight with a real joy in your heart because you have listened to a presentation of God's word for your life and you said, that's what I'm going to do, just like the eunuch. If you need to respond to the invitation to be baptized tonight, if you'll come forward, take a seat up here on the front, we'll be glad to assist you in your obedience to the gospel. And if sin is in your heart... Now's the right time to get it out. Let's pray together. If you need to respond, please come as we stand and sing together.